It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. This is another special edition of Frontline Friday with my special and regular guest, Bridget Cleason, because for the first time, we're actually in the same location. This is the most special, Andy, <laughs> most because special, right? this is the most special, 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 because we are actually in world headquarters of the vast uh, of Accelerate the vast, Media Empire. Yes, exactly. The Accelerate Media Empire. And I feel honored to be here <laughs> In your presence today to do this live. <laughs> live. I'm so excited. Well, semi-live. Live together, but unfortunately not live to the audience. Some, That's true. Someday we'll do that, though. We'll do a live episode. But Yeah, that'd be fun. So, yeah, here you are, uh, actually in, in one of the world headquarters, actually in the San Diego world headquarters of the Accelerate Empire. And it's what happens when you have an empire. You've got right. more than one. More than one central yes, power. Right. Seat of power. I aspire. So, yeah. So, anyway, we're... we're Special episode because we got a chance to be together is, is uh, I guess we're going to answer some questions. Mm-hmm. It's over question day. And I'm excited about these, Andy, because these are questions that I've gotten. <laughs> so this is where we get to turn the tables. Oh, gosh, another one's turn the table. Days. Okay. And I get to it's ask the Bridget Gleason show. You. I love it. But before, before I have my own media empire, right? The Bridget Gleason empire. But these are questions that I've gotten. And I've got from people that you know, from sales reps or managers. Sales reps, and there's there's reps who I've managed, or I spoke at an event a couple of weeks ago up at the offices uh, of Lyft in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I got a lot of questions there. Um, companies where I advise, right? And so I collected a couple of them, oh. and I took a couple of them that were from reps, mm-hmm. and the reps. There's a theme. Which I'm not going to tell you. You'll hear soon enough. I hate surprises. I, I know. I know. Well, how do you think I feel each week? <laughs> and then a couple from managers too. Okay. So the first one that I got from a rep, and this is one that I get frequently, mm-hmm. particularly in Silicon Valley. Sure. Is a rep asking, how do I know a sales rep, account executive, it's all different levels when it's time to leave the company where I am. Because I get recruiters contacting me daily, and they're these great opportunities, and it pays more money. And This is what they're saying. This is what they're telling me. Of course, I know they're calling you constantly, but yes. But but this is... But but salespeople are getting hit up by recruiters, hit up by friends. There's a lot... This is one of the things that I hear frequently... From companies that are thinking about building sales teams in the valley, it's mm-hmm. really hard. People move frequently, right? And they do, right? So, what would you tell someone that says that asks you, "How do I know when it's time to go? How do I about eval- how how do I decide should I leave or should I stay? <laughs> how do Cue I decide? Cue the music in the background. Cue the music. God, that's a tough question because. Here are the factors of play, right? One of the things that, I mean, of the factors that would interest you in a new position, especially in the Valley, right? A, is it going to make me rich? Does that possibility exist, right? What stage are they at? Uh, could I get in early enough? I get, 
you know, an interesting package. Is it something that I could be passionate about selling? Would I and passion and for me the passion is really twofold. One is is not only passionate about it, but is it an environment where I'd really learn something new that would add to my skill set? You know, would I would I be working for somebody that really teach me a lot, or would be in an environment where I'd have to learn something really new and challenging uh, that again overall increase my my skill set? To me, those are sort of those things. But I've been in that position in the past. Those are sort of things I looked at is because I've passed opportunities where I was in environments where I was working with people I really liked and we we're selling some great products. We had excellent customers. The pay was great. The options package was great. Could have been better at some other places, potentially. But the risk seemed too too great at that point in terms of what the potential upside would be where, yeah, I just made the judgment, Hey, I'll stay here for now. And, you know, there were several instances I can recall where I sort of made that, made that call. So I think that, that, Oh gosh. I mean, the environment's even changed. It keeps changing. I mean, life is short. And so the flip side of what I just said is life is short. You're young. You've got skills that, that people want. What's the downside of going? Okay, so part of the downside, and I cannot tell you how many of these conversations I have. Oh, yeah, it's not an easy discussion. It's not an easy discussion because I'm, just as I'm counseling people from other companies, I guarantee the people who work for me are having this conversation Mm -hmm. with others. Yes. Sometimes they have it with me, too, even though they report up into me. Sure. Um. So the, one of the things that also that the, a question I get asked around the same topic is what's like part of the downside? Two of the two of the points that I've heard that are part of the downside. One, am I going to look like a job hopper? And so, what's the right length of time? The duration. And that's changing. Okay, again, I keep I, I hate well, what, to keep going did, back what, to the old people theme uh, here, but. Andy and I job hopping like you were a job hopper if you job if you hopped every three years th- or five years even I mean five- well so I'll tell a story about this because just to show sort of the passage of time is yeah when when you and I started ages ago is yeah if if you were <laughs> certainly I was I always sort of used like three years but you said five that's certainly yeah more frequently than that people thought yeah. You're, you're hopping jobs. Yeah, you're not why, stable. Why are, you doing, why are you doing that and so on? You're risky. And so before I started my own company, I was with this one startup for seven years. And you know, we went through the whole cycle of things. We um, were very small. We eventually went public. We started acquiring other companies. You know, I saw the whole gamut of things. And about a year after I left to start my own company, I get a call from a recruiter. And I wasn't really... Interesting going to work for another company. I started my own business. and But I thought, what the heck? I'd go do the conversation. Maybe I'd meet somebody interesting. So I go in, and it actually wasn't a recruiter. It was, I was meeting with the director of, or vice president of HR for this, this company. And his first comment was, well, so why'd you stay so long at your last company? <laughs> and I just started, I burst out laughing because it was like, isn't that funny? You know, it's, it was seven years, and it's like, 
what was wrong with you? You stayed at this place for seven years. And you know what's interesting about that, Andy, is that that bias also exists today as well. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it cuts both ways. So in some ways, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you, if you don't stay long enough, you're a job hopper, you stay too long, why did you? And so that's the question that I get asked is, is there, is there an amount of time that is respectable? And what I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm trying to remember where I read this recently, that I think it was in the New York Times, which is often a source of uh, information for me because I read it every morning, that was saying that, particularly in the Valley, that people don't look down so much on shorter stints, and shorter being... I think one to two years. Yeah, I think less than that. That's a problem, right? Because what have you learned? That's well, what I want. That's it. what I want to know. So if somebody has said, "Look, I, I saw a resume not that long ago because a client's doing some hiring and they wanted me to look at some people that are evaluating," and and one person, yeah, had been like in three places in the last eighteen months, and to me that was that was problematic because it was okay. What did what did you learn when you were actually at that place? Were you there long enough to a contribute to anything? And B, what could you possibly have learned that would have upgraded your skill set or your experience set that would be valuable to to my client as an employer? And so I thought sort of those six-month stints were too short. Now, they weren't as contractor. They were as full-time employees. But two to three years, that's not a problem. Well, three years is long. Three years is You long. know, what? it's interesting is I had um, a CEO call me for... Uh, a reference for a VP of sales candidate, somebody mm-hmm. who'd worked for me previously. And we had a really good conversation. And the, at the end, he asked me, because this individual has changed jobs probably every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And he was wondering, he, he noticed that. And he said, do you think that I could count on him for 18 months? And I just thought, oh my God, it's changing. And I, I started to laugh and said, yeah, I think 18 months. If you'd said five years, uh, I don't think so. Four years, that's well, but, a lot to but ask. But the difference is these days, especially at the more senior jobs, is boards and investors, CEOs are saying, look, as I project forward five years, we're going to go through three different stages. Yeah. And... You know, is this guy a stage one, a stage two, or a stage three person? And I think that's more of the calculation. So they're not going to look at five years and say, is this person a long-term player? Because, yeah, I'm going on a different skill set. You know, is this a, you know initial stage, early entry, pioneering sale type person, the renaissance man, you know, profile that people talk about that can be sort of, you know, all things on hand? Or is this maybe stage two, it's really we're scaling the organization, we need a different skill set at that point in time. Or is it three? It's more steady state growth, build out the infrastructure, and so on. I mean, I have to admit, I'm <laughs> I'm more stage one myself. You know, that's the companies I've tended to work in and fill that role. So I can sort of understand the 18 months. Yeah, that's so reasonable. Can, can I get the value out of the person based on what I'm going to pay them over that period of time, 18 months, 24 months? And then if we fit our targets, quite frankly, we're probably going to be looking for somebody else. Yeah, and so it's I've seen it from the CEO thinking and the board, okay, I may need to to refresh this role every 18 months, two years, three mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. 
It's interesting, though, that there's also this recognition that that person may decide to refresh themselves <laughs> and go somewhere else. It, again, it cuts both ways. Well, yeah, and I, I think the other thing that's sort of interesting is, is we see in a lot of companies that I, certainly I'm seeing is that is you know back in the day, let's say whenever that day is. 20 years or so ago, is that if you hired somebody into that role, you would expect and hope that they could grow with the company. But you see that as less of an expectation these days. Yeah, and I think it would be... And so be... you have specialized skill sets. So I'm, hey, you're a stage one person, that's fine. I'll, I'll go from place to place. I'll get better at stage one, but I'm never going to be the one that's considered for, hey, this is the real scaling role. Yeah, well, if I'm ever, I think I told you, Andy, when I was, at, I had talked to somebody recently about a role at a very large company, a very big job, and I had said to the recruiter, have you looked at my LinkedIn profile? I don't, uh, do you see any big company on here? It's not where I like to play. Yeah. Also, there are people that look and they want to go from, being from stage one and they want to gain a skill set and go to stage two and you just have to know who you are and what you like there's some people that want to keep sort of climbing in that way Mm -hmm. i similar to you i like early yeah i like the messiness of early i don't mind the risk of early i like the setting up of early it's risky what is i mean I, i tell the story about one company i went to work for is brought me on to start a a commercial division. They were sort of a defense business, and they wanted to start doing commercial work. And my charter from the CEO was this. He said, said, what do you want to do? (laughs) I said, well, uh, we've got all this technology that we've been developing. We'll try to leverage some of that into commercial products. He said, that's fine. He said, you can do whatever you want to do. The only rule is, and we're a hardware company primarily, so we're going to build hardware, telecom hardware. And he said, the only rule is, Customer has to pay for all the R and D. Yeah, I've had that, and so that was that was my assignment. So we, I, I had I, I had a complete blank palette in front of me. Oh, right. And I could do blank canvas, excuse me, and I could fill that canvas in any way I wanted. The only stipulation was is that somebody the, else pays for it. Somebody else paid for it. Right, being the customer. Right, and so I built an organization that we went out and did that, and that I like that. Yeah, there's a lot about that. Okay, here's another question. Sure. A different person asked me this, but along the same lines. Mm-hmm. So this individual was an early stage company, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And as you were talking, very this is this is uh, very relevant mm-hmm. to the previous question. The company grows. They bring in a new VP of sales. Mm-hmm. The VP of sales brings in a whole new set of people. And so this person was very junior. It was his first job out of school. And he went from being an SDR to an SDR manager. And then he was selling and loving it. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of field people. Well, there were a bunch of field people. But there were a couple of field people who were... He it were his mentors. That was everything to him. And all he wanted to do was learn from these Like he'd identified a couple of them. Well, they got let go. And so now he's in an organization where the mentors, the the, the things that were the most important for him, Mm -hmm. of all the things that were important, learning from these amazing field reps, that was gone. 
And so his question was, what do I do? Like, do I hang around and wait and see if he's going to hire somebody new? Do I go follow these mentors somewhere? What do I do there? It's sort of lost its magic. Yeah. That's uh, so many good questions today. I know, uh, I know. I get ones, good and ones, ones. Yeah, and ones that don't have answers, right? I mean, it's... it's Those are the best. Yeah. Gosh, we're so existential today. Um, it gets back to... The, to me, it gets back to what I talked about before is, is as you know, I'm passionate about self-development and continually learning, is if the person doesn't think that the opportunity to keep learning the same way, because as you said, he's very new in his career. To me, learning was about everything, right? I wanted to do as many different things as I could, have as many different experiences as I could, and learn from people that I respected, then... I'd prioritize that because again, life is long. You know, you don't have to have a home run with your first company to go to work for. Um, it's funny because early you said life is short. Yeah. Okay, life is short. Life is long. Well, it's sort of the same thing, right? I mean, right. <laughs> I know what you mean. Right. It's it's too short to be in places where you're not learning, but life is long. There's lots of opportunities to succeed, and I would I would um, I would prioritize the learning experience at that point in time. If I'm three four years out of school. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, you know, sort of similar experience. I was about four years out of school. I'd been my first employer, got promoted very quickly into sales management. Had, gosh, a team of like twelve or thirteen reps that were working for me. We had two originally two sales managers. One of them left, so I had, you know, like thirteen direct reports of these young new salespeople. And the division of the company I was working with got merged into another division. And I was working for a guy that I really liked and was learning a lot from. And they let him go, and suddenly I was working for someone who really didn't care. And, you know, for me, that was the motivation to leave at that point in time. You know, because I was only 26 years old, I wanted to try something new. But, yeah, I wanted to have work with somebody in an environment where I thought, yeah, I'm going to learn something and be challenged every day when I come. And so to me, that, that was enough stimulus to, to say, okay. Let's go try something new. You know, I'm I'm the same way. And actually, the sales reps that I hire is I look for that. Because here's what I've seen, Andy. The ones that I have seen that do well and that I work well with in mm-hmm. terms of who... I need to know also as a, as a manager and a VP, what are the right people that I need to hire that are going to work with me? Right. The, the type of manager that I am. And what I've noticed is they do prioritize and optimize around learning and their growth. And it's not, all, it's not always money. And I think we make that mistake that we try to keep people. And I've seen a lot of situations where money's thrown at them. Stay, we'll give you more money. Stay, we'll give you more territory. Stay, we'll give you this. The things that you think if salespeople are coin-operated... We give them the coin, and this is going to make the difference. The sales reps that actually, I think, end up doing really well are the ones that are not... The coins matter, but they're actually... They've got a longer view. And their longer view is, I need to get the experience now. And that experience 
is worth something. Mm -hmm. And they optimize around that experience. And I've seen a lot of good salespeople leave because they didn't get the mentorship. And that was really the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, it's... I find it interesting when I look back at the people that I started my career with. And, you know, we were working for a large company. We were scooped up by the hundreds, brought into sales training programs or marketing management programs, as they used to call them, marketing management training programs. And I think about how many of those people that I've sort of seen, either caught up with or connected with online or sort of, you know, stalked them online and see what they're doing, that, you know, are no longer in sales. Right, it would never. They sort of entered that with no real intention of saying sales is real a career, you know, that I want to want to stay in. A few did, and those that did, yeah, they never rose to real high. Not most of them, I'd say about ninety percent. Never real, you know, didn't want to be vice president of sales or so on. They just want to be salespeople, you know, serve their customers, have a territory, or be a regional manager or something. And and I think that's sort of the perspective we hopefully more young people coming to the profession have is that. Sales itself is a great, a great, great role, and you can have an exciting career as an individual contributor, make a lot of money, support your family, do the things you want to do with your life, as long as you keep learning and improving. Even though you're an individual contributor, you still have this imperative to continue to expand your skill set and your knowledge base and so on. So as long as we bring people in and, I think, encourage them that that is a path they can go through and go down, you know, then I feel optimistic, and you know, then people can... You know, this whole decision about, you know, do I stay or do I go really comes down to, okay, am I adding to myself and my career path? Yeah, and I'm also okay with people who see sales as a stepping stone to something else. Mm -hmm. Because it's great background if you want to start a company, if you want to run a company, if you want to be an executive in a company. Having good sales acumen and skills and customer empathy and understanding that life cycle super important so i agree with you that i like it when they they see sales as a career but i'm also i also don't mind if they see it as a really important stepping stone mm-hmm. to just about any other profession or career step that you're going to make it's an excellent foundation yeah well, my point was is is that, and I, gosh, who was I, I was talking to somebody yesterday. I was interviewing another potential guest for for the show, or another actually, it was, actually, it wasn't a potential guest; it was an actual guest. And she was talking about this idea that she likes to her mission in life, her passionless life, is bring the dignity dignity back to sales, and that yeah, you know, she wants to do everything she can to sort of eliminate from people's perspectives, this idea of the stereotypical salesperson and the bad sales behaviors that go on. And because so many people do sales for the right reasons and do an honorable and honest and, you know, professional job. And, um, yeah, yeah, I think I'm not sure quite where I was going. Yeah. You don't want to, I, I would like also that people don't feel like they need to cringe if they say, Oh, what do you do? I'm in sales. sales. Yeah. And so I think it's not apologetic. Yeah, and so I think we said we lay out this career path for them. I think that that's that's really important. It's it is a great a great life. I it mean, is a great life because there's so few professions in the world where, short of working for yourself, where you know the rewards in most environments, yeah, you know, are based on what you what you produce. 
Yeah, and you've got a lot of, in many instances, autonomy to sort of run it, run it the way you want. Not totally. I mean, there's going to be guidelines and requirements, but there's a lot of room to play within that. There's a lot of room to be creative. Yeah. Well, I think it's certainly more autonomy, perhaps, in certain field roles than in inside sales. But um, and not that, <laughs> not that we'd ever take advantage of that. But I, I may remember days where, yeah, it'd be a bunch of us, and we would have been crushing quota, and the month was done, and there was a few days left, and yeah, a lot of golf got played. God, you know what? I remember that, like when you would hit your quota, and then you'd be like, "Okay, I can take a few days off." I don't well, we see just hit. We were crushing it. We were above it comfortably, and then we'd take a day off and go do something. No, I remember that. I don't see that as much anymore. No. No, I, I have this great story with, and uh, gosh, I, I'd just been promoted to a manager, and, and I was working with alongside another manager who had been my boss, but I got, was promoted with, and we're having a great month, and I think by the quarter it was good. We're getting near the end of the year, and this is, we're up in Bay Area. And he shows up one morning and says, uh, you got a minute? I said, sure. He said, uh, let's go for a drive. I said, sure. And I said, no, we were, we were at the ski slopes. <laughs> he basically kidnapped me. We were doing a great job. He said, let's go skiing. Uh, some people would also call that sandbagging. That when you're like, there's probably a few more you could pull in, but why? You might as well wait till the quarter's over and start the next quarter. Which no. I know, I know. I can't imagine that you would do that. I wouldn't dream of doing anything like that either. Okay, do we and have I'm, time for one more question? Sure. I and mean, we had President's Club in the bag. We were, we were good. Oh God, do I want to ask? No, I'm going to stick to my questions. Otherwise, I was going to ask you about President's Club. No, go ahead. But, ask about President's Club. Somebody asked me about that recently. Somebody asked me whether there should be President's Club. That was my question. Is, Maybe it was you. Did we talk about this already? Did we talk about this last time? <laughs> we could have. Okay, okay. Let's not do, go right. on that one because okay. because we may have talked about that. But we we I've definitely had that conversation recently. You may have also. Yeah. Um, okay. So another one. Should I put someone? on a a performance improvement plan if I know that they're not a good culture fit? As opposed to just... Firing them. Firing them right away. Terminating them. And part of this question comes is because as companies get larger, Mm -hmm. there is the uh, mandate, oftentimes, from HR... Everything has to be documented. You've right. got to give them good warning. They've got to be on a plan. If they're not a plan, you can't let them go. Right. How would you respond to that? Put them on a plan. Even if you know they're not a good culture fit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say at the end of the plan, they do well. And they're still as bad a culture fit as they were before you put them on a plan. <laughs> okay? So there's there's other issues, well, but you have to incorporate that into the performance improvement plan. I mean, one of the aspects could be, hey, you know, you're just not fitting meshing well with the team. So we need to see these types of changes in behavior as part of your improvement plan. Yeah, it's so hard. But I've done that. I mean, it's, I have too. I mean, so you have hard and, and soft goals that people have to meet. And yeah, the, the culture fit is one. And then you just have to, you have to, this is going to sound perhaps bad, but... 
if you know the person is not necessarily going to change, you guys have to make sure very stringent in the plan of what they have to meet in order to stay. And if they don't meet it, then you manage them out at the door. Yeah, the the thing about the cultural fit is it's it's not qualitative. It's well, not sure. quantitative. Quanti- it's qualitative. It's qualitative. But that's and that's hard. Harder. But it's still within your purview to do. Yeah, it is. It is. And I have seen reps where you give them the the things that they need to do, and they do them, but they are still the same, not good culture fit. Okay, so this is so, a sticky... But I, think, I think the thing with performance improvement plans is, is, to me, they're messages to people. And if people aren't completely clueless, they get the message and they start voting with their feet, so to speak. So I heard one... Um, one VP of sales that what they did, which I thought was a really good way to handle it, and they just did this routinely, that when they were going to put someone on a, a plan, mm-hmm. they gave them at that time the opportunity to either be on the plan or to take an exit package. That's a great idea. Which I think is a great, because sometimes you put them on a plan and they're thinking, I don't want to be here anyway. Okay, so now I'm, it's going to be painful for me to be here. Yeah. And so to give, I thought that was also a good balance, that these are the issues. We can look at a plan. These are the things I'm going to look for. And at the end of whatever the amount of time is, if these things don't change, we're going we're gonna to part ways. Yeah. Or if you really don't think it's going to work out, let's... Let's talk about that. Let's part ways Please. now. Well, I, I think back to this situation I had where I was brought in as VP of sales for a small group and there was a uh, it was in crisis mode sales had been declining year over year for two years it was in startup mode obviously the wrong way to go they had let some people go so there was sort of a core group of sales and marketing people that were there and so I was brought in to help do a turnaround and I said to everybody, okay, just so we're setting the the rules here is that you know we all have to be in sales now. Because you know this is all hands on deck and I know we've got two marketing and two salespeople, but we're all in sales right now. You know, let me work with you, put together the plans for what you're gonna do going forward. And they sort of resisted this idea of you know coming up with new sales plans, what they were going to do, how they were going to take ownership. And so, yeah, one whole night I went home and wrote performance improvement plans for all four of them and came back in the next morning and put everybody on notice. Because so I said, look, you know, I, I personally can sell as much as all four of you are doing. So here's the moment of truth. And yeah, three of the four left within a month. And that was fine. Yeah, and, we, and we actually, you know, the one person stayed, did marvelously. Actually, one of the marketing people became a great sales guy. And uh, and that was fine. It was a wake-up call. It sort of expedited the process of saying, look, they're not interested in being here anymore. You know, I don't want them to feel like they're being held against their will by any sort of incentive plan or whatever. So it's sort of forcing function. Yeah, and the good thing, I think, also about giving them an option is if you put someone on, my experience has been, there have been situations when I've put someone on a plan, mm-hmm. and they check out. 
And so they're not, they're sort of not done. They're kind of half in, half out. Nobody's. But you only do it for 30 days max. Yeah, it depends. I mean, it's some. I don't like doing it more than 30 days. Yeah, I think 30 30 days days can seem like a long time. (laughs) I mean, I had. And for the rep, too. And for the rep, too. It can be just very, very painful. Yeah, I remember early in my career. when I hired in a management career, I was at a startup and I'd hired this this guy in sales. He had come extremely well recommended by people that I'd known, right? So people whose word I I trusted. And for some reason, all he did when I first showed up was sit in his cubicle with his feet on the desk and read the Wall Street Journal. And this was you know, before <laughs> before the internet uh was widely available. And I was like, uh John, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And it was just like crazy. Wow. So, yeah. I would did, like that job. We did immediate performance. That guy's like third day on the job. He was on a plan. Yeah, and that's – at some companies, I've written in that the first 30 days are really a trial period mm-hmm. yeah, for both sides. Yeah. It's a probation. Let's see how this works. And I've had two um, free people – yeah. <laughs> within the first 30 days. Free people Sometimes I have to free them with force, like a well, little this, push and a nudge. Well, this guy was was baffled at the end of 30 days when we let him go. It's like, why? Because all you've done is read a newspaper while you've been here. I know. God, that sounds like a good job. I would have to. It, the Wall Street Journal would be fine. Yeah. I'd do that. Yeah. The base salary wasn't very high. So I don't know what he's doing to make a living, but maybe he's trading stocks and doing great. Who knows? Hard to say. All right. Any more questions or should we wrap this one up? I'll save the others. Okay. Well, we can do another episode of questions. This has been, as I said before, a very special episode of Frontline Friday, where chance we actually, Bridget and I got to be in the same place, same time, record the episodes in the same room. At the, the World Accelerate Empire. Accelerate Empire. So thank you for the time, and thank you, friends, for spending time of your day to listen to us, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.